Coco Childs, are you in the audience? Coco, there she, here she comes. Come on up. I know she loves all the attention. Come on up. She's just great. Her family is awesome. See, it's a long, it's long. This is like the Academy Awards, you know. That's why you got to sit closer to the front, just right up here, you know. Maybe next week I'll call on the first two rows to come up. That'll be good. Hey, I'm so glad. What happened last week? Do you remember? Here. What happened last week? That's right. That's right. There you go. It's awesome. Now, your dad baptized you. Is that right? And your mom was up there with you. It was like a family event, wasn't it? I tell you, I love this girl. I love her excitement and her love for God. And it's just so encouraging, encouraging for me to see. So what I wanted to do is I have something to give to you. Um, in just a moment, but I wanted you to remember this moment right here. Okay. Remember this right here, because there's going to come a day when you may get a little discouraged and you may think, uh, did that, did I really do those, that for the right reason? Or, or maybe, and maybe it just, what didn't take or something. You may have these crazy ideas. I want you to know something right here, right now. Remember we have all been discouraged. Am I right? We have all had those moments when we think, man, I'm just not doing it right. But I want to encourage you that this is a brand new life you're in, okay? And you have got one great big family that's here to help you, to listen to you, to teach you, and to walk alongside you. And so I'm going to give you this right here. This is a Bible. Now, in this Bible, we wrote a little thing in the front. It's nothing big. But we, we want you to know that, that this is, as Lois said earlier... This is that lamp that will hopefully guide you. Um, In this, you will find knowledge of truth. But I want you to know something. The knowledge is not the end. The knowledge in this book will help you to figure out what does God want from me? What is he thinking? What has he done? And what has he promised me? And this will lead you to live a life of godliness. So I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to say, Coco... I'm going to ask God to help you become a woman of God, okay? Just like your mom. Cool? Okay, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this sweet girl. Thank you for her journey and her family. Thank you for the fact that she has chosen to do a very brave thing, which is to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that at any age, that is a brave choice. So we pray that you bless her, that you would guide her, help her to grow in the love and the knowledge, the wisdom of God, so that her life can shine brightly to those people that live with her each and every day, whether at school or at work, wherever. Shine through this girl and build up a strong and powerful woman of God through her. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, girl. Thank you. Here you go. Take take, take this chair. That's awesome. Love that. I love it when I get to introduce new believers. Mm, it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Make sure you meet that family, by the way, if you do not know them. If you're usually I'll sit on this side, they're on this side. So you may have to come over the center. Uh, meet them, bless them. Um, you know, the beginning of our Christianity is kind of delicate, isn't it? It's a little delicate sometimes whenever people are brand new in the faith. But it's a blessing when we get to see the moment whenever the Spirit opens these people's eyes to new life, new possibilities. You know, to see how some of these people live in hope 
And expectation's beautiful because it reminds me that I need to live in hope and expectation as well. And, and these people, whenever they, they first embrace Jesus, it's like they want to serve and they want to help and they want to love and they want to grow and there's so many things they want to do. And it reminds me that I should be doing that as well. But new believers, they need love. They need care. They need living examples of what the Jesus life looks like. But what if, what if everyone was a new believer? What if this church was filled with people who didn't really know how the life of Jesus is supposed to look or what the traditions were? What if, what if the whole church was filled with brand new believers? Where would you begin? What would you focus on first? Trying to build up your small church and let's say that it's up to you. You're the one who, who you have to grow this small church and you have to develop this and, and, and help these people reach out and bring in more new believers. Would that seem overwhelming to you? Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Thanks for reading that, Dan. I'm glad you, you did that. It kind of is a great preface into our content for the day. So the Apostle Paul had just, he had met and um, helped a small group of believers on the island of Crete start a few churches. Um, these communities of faith. We don't know when he did that exactly, but, but we know that he did. So Crete is an island um, on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, let's see here, I, don't, I hope this works. There you go. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a small island out there. I know a lot of you already know what that is. But at one point in history, long, long, long time ago, <clears throat> this island was a major power, believe it or not. Um, but over the years and the centuries, whenever nations rise and fall, this little island became insignificant. Uh, it became home to a lot of seafaring people, a lot of uh, sea people that were more pirates and swindlers. You know, this was an island uh, for some, <laughs> some people considered a safe haven for um, the immoral. Uh, stories have it that the people of Crete, they believed that they were descended from animals. This, you heard of that monitor. There's a, a god animal-ish looking thing with big um, horns and it's two feet, but it looks like a bull. They believed they were descended from animals. And at one point it was a source of pride. But I think over the years it devolved to where they just figured we're descended from beasts. We might as well act like it. Now, granted, that's generalization, but, but it was a difficult place to be. But there were Jewish communities inside this small islands community culture. In fact, some Cretan Jews were the very first to believe at Pentecost. Isn't that interesting? Um, at some point, Paul, he himself helped these fledgling churches start to grow and, and developed, but he had to leave. So he left Titus the difficult job of finishing what he started. So back to my earlier question. What do you do in a culture where immorality is common, Christianity is uncommon, following Jesus is really really uncommon how do you grow the body of christ when most all you have are new believers how do you ensure the future of the church 
No, I mean, that's the question, really. So, so, so with that in mind, listen as we begin reading in Titus chapter 1. Let's hear how Paul begins. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. He just knew how to begin a letter, didn't he? Typically, in our texts, we say, sup. <laughs> it doesn't really have the same ring to it as Paul did maybe we should see one important thing to note Paul in the very beginning of his letter is stating his purpose it's very clearly his first his his uh, purpose was to further the faith and to help them with the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness I love this He, he didn't just stop at helping them with knowledge it was always meant to lead us somewhere Knowledge was meant to lead us to godliness. Knowledge is good, but it should never be the end goal. It should always act as a catalyst for spiritual transformation. So for this culture that was in dire need of transformation, knowledge alone was not enough. So listen to what Paul tells Titus to do. Verse 5. He says this, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now I know the only time we ever usually read this text is every four or five years when elder selection rolls around, right? And we usually read this along with 1 Timothy chapter 3. And it's good, but today I wanted to look a little deeper into this next part of this text and please don't relegate this to things I don't have to worry about since I'm not an elder how many of those do you do I don't have to worry about that I'm not an elder <laughs> I want you to listen and to read deeper into this text now remember he's talking to Titus in Crete in a culture where immorality was I hate to say it, it was more common really expected in some ways So let's listen. This is what it says. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy disciplined he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it now I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that this is not a list that only should apply to elders Paul is telling Timothy something here he's saying listen If you want your church, these churches in this difficult place to grow, 
You have to look into these communities and find people who can help you. And it's not just about what you're saying every time you meet, Titus. Knowledge is good, but you need some living examples of what it looks like to live the way of Jesus. So he tells Titus, find people who are living differently than everyone else. I mean, this culture, it's difficult. You assume people are looking out for themselves at the expense of others. I mean, the common bar for morality was set rather low, and he tells Titus, find someone who lives in such a way that if someone brought charges against him, which probably happened a lot, the charges wouldn't stick. They wouldn't even have a case. They may try, but the charges wouldn't stick. Find someone who loves his wife. You see how much they love their wife. Find someone who doesn't disrespect his marriage. And make sure this person has kids who are respectful and kind. You see, you know a lot about the morality of a man by looking at his family. If they cower in fear at him, he's probably overbearing. Probably has a problem with anger and self-control. Find somebody who doesn't let money control his actions. Find someone who... His every waking moment is not about how to get a next, the next buck. Find someone who instead uses money to bless others. Maybe money and his means, maybe even his property, whatever it takes to help, even if it means being uncomfortable. He says, find somebody who's good, whose lives are filled with doing good things for others. Someone who believes that what has been taught to him is true. And he believes it as if his life depended on it. He says, find these people and you will find the future of your church. So can you imagine Titus? Imagine him for a second. Did this feel overwhelming for him, maybe? If he had text messaging back then, I wonder if he would have said, um, really? In Crete? You remember where I am, right, Paul? Can you give me a few suggestions, maybe? <laughs> By the way, one glaring difference between the Timothy text and the Titus text about elders, um, this quality list, is that Timothy says, uh, this must not be a new convert. Titus does not say that. The elders must not, must not be a new convert. And I think he tells that to Titus because the churches are filled with new converts. I mean, the gospel's blowing up. It's exploding. Love is blossoming everywhere. And they're all new. Which means that even in the most immoral places on earth, there are people who are ready to hear and God's been working on them because a lot of these people, they probably already live a little differently than the rest of us. There are already people who stand out. People who serve as a living definition of good. And I think if you were to stand these people in, in uh, Titus's churches there, if you were to stand them side by side in a row in their community, I think if you had five and five, you would probably be able to see the difference. In the first century church, the, the, it was just growing by the thousands. 
You know, we read about it in Acts and how the early church was focused on sharing with one another, how they were giving to one another, they were eating together. It was inclusion. All of a sudden, people who were out, they had a family. They had a purpose. They had a place to belong. It was a whole new way of being. And I think what I'm realizing is that in early Christianity, it wasn't the knowledge that was the the catalyst. It was the way people lived that brought about new believers into the church. If it was the knowledge, then wouldn't Jesus have had a different message? And he probably would have been here for a much shorter time. If it was about knowledge only, no. People who lived, when these people lived differently, the church, it just grew. Believers were added. You know, when people lived as if they had hope, oh, it was highly attractive. If they found people who were like this, then imagine that living belief would serve as a model for every new believer who was going to follow. Which makes me wonder, in our culture here in San Angelo, Texas, where morality is relatively common, where people, for the most part, are pretty nice, what does different look like? And I think in every culture, good Goodness looks the same. But I also believe that living a life of doing good isn't necessarily normal. And if it were, why does it take national tragedies to get people to start paying attention to one another? Why does it get catastrophes for people to start helping and sacrificing for one another? Because people in those moments notice, oh, good needs to be done. We have to do some good. We've got to help. Because doing good usually requires that we give up something. It requires sacrifice. And and not just any sacrifice. It usually requires we give up something very valuable. And the immediate return doesn't always seem to benefit us at the moment. But the phrase doing what is good, it, it appears several times throughout this book. Which makes me wonder, doing good seems to be a mark of believers who live differently. And I'm not just talking about being nice. And I'm not just talking about, you know, behaving yourself. Even non-Christians do that. It's much, much more. Doing good has more to do with generosity and, and giving and treating people differently. Helping people who need, no matter how old you are. Helping people in school, helping people at, at the, the community center, helping people next door. Doing good is proactive. It requires thought. And whenever I was much younger, I used to think that, that good living and living differently meant the things that I didn't do. You know, I grew up with a whole list of things I shouldn't do. Don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. You've heard that before. That was a motto in my family. <laughs> but what I'm realizing now, the older that I'm getting, it is not about what you don't do. It's about what you are doing that shows people what you believe and why you live. Do we live as people who cling to hope? And do we we stand out as people who live differently? So in our culture, San Angelo, 
and beyond. What does it mean to stand out? If you had 10 people from this city in a row, would you be able to spot the ones who follow Jesus? I think in Crete it might have been easy to identify. You know, Paul's asking Titus to find people who are in some significant ways going against the culture. They're faithful. They're free with their money. They're self-controlled. They're ready to be open and, and live lives that are open and, and open their homes to people in need. Wait, maybe that still is countercultural. Even the Bible Belt. So maybe living differently really isn't so different t- today. You know, at the end of chapter 1, Paul tells Titus to watch out for a few people. You know, they're having problems in this place because you have some people who they're preying on these new believers because the new believers are ready to believe and, and trust and, and help. And, and they have people who are preying on them and saying, no, you need to be paying attention to this and this and this. And it's just crazy, crazy things. And he says these are the people that they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. So a question I've asked myself this week. What do my actions say about my faith? What do your actions say about your faith? I'm not talking about perfection here. I mean, these people on Crete, in our eyes, they were probably far from perfect. But God's grace and forgiveness, that's, he, that he's going to make up for that imperfection. I'm talking about the actions of our everyday walking around, living, breathing, eating, drinking, working, playing life. Do they claim Jesus or do they deny him? As we begin this new year, this new era of possibility where every passing moment is another chance to turn it all around. I'm going to challenge us to take a hard and serious look at our lives and ask ourselves, how are we living differently? I'm asking the same question of myself, so you're not, I'm not just putting this on you. We'll be looking this month at ways we can live differently. How we can live and and, and see others differently. How we can work differently. How we can give differently. And my hope is that this is a series that, even though it may be uncomfortable, and it probably will, that the knowledge we receive will result in a life lived in godliness. And I tell you, this community people may seem like we have it together people may be nice at traffic people may be nice when the lines are long but this community needs hopeful and fearless people who are clinging to a truth that is life changing because I think people want to live differently they just don't know how they need to see it You don't have to be an elder to live this way. Because in a way, we're all leaders. We're all teachers to some extent. We're all servants. 
we're all people also who can show the world what it looks like to live with eternal life and hope in our eyes. So my question for you is how will you choose to live? Because if you walk out of here and dismiss this as, a, as another sermon that doesn't apply to me, then you may miss it. So don't waste it. Ask God, as we sing in a moment, to help reveal to you the things that need to change. I'll be down here up front if you need to pray. If you want to pray for me, I'm right here. I would love it. Our elders will be here as well. How will you respond today? Let's stand together and let's sing.